Before we get started, I want to talk about sponsors that help make this show possible. I've partnered with swimming companies that can serve our international audience. Destro Swim Towers. Gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, at checkout. DestroMachines.com. The Magic 5, custom-fitted goggles that are tailor-made for your exact face. You shouldn't feel like you're wearing any goggles. Use code BRETTHAWK20 at checkout to receive 20% off. Swim Angelfish. Receive the tools and skills needed to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions with swim angelfish go to swimangelfish.com superior swim timing run a swim meet with ease from your laptop sst is fully compatible with high tech team unify as well as colorado dactronics and amiga touchpads superiorswimtiming.com are you in need of a pace clock? Looking to finally upgrade those ancient analog clocks? The Swim Nerd Pace Clock is the most innovative digital pace clock. Go to swimpractice.com to check it out. All right, I think we're on. Eddie Reese, welcome to my podcast. How you doing? I've been looking forward to this. <laughs> well, listen, I appreciate this. This is um, this is history for me, man. Like I was, I was really uh, disappointed in myself when I heard the news that you were retiring, and I had never taken you up on the offer to come and spend three or four days in your program. I was really kicking myself, and uh, and then when I heard the news that you were coming out of retirement, I thought, well. I got to do it now. Uh, and, and I'm here. I'm, I'm happy. I'm doing it. I mean, it, I wish I had have done it sooner to be quite honest. So I appreciate this. Well, that's why I came back knowing you had, <laughs> you were the last one I had to check off. <laughs> I can imagine. Now, why did you retire in the first place? Like why, why did you take that? Decision? I was, it was, it was a lot of mobility thing. I didn't like, my ability going up and down stairs, standing up and just simple things like that. It just, you know, you add up about 20 little things like that and it gets to be pretty big. And so I went and got a trainer and he has helped me immensely. Right. Right. And so then the decision, once, once you get some, physical health back you think to yourself and and maybe some just emotional health after a, a huge season like you came off with with all the COVID restrictions and everything that was going on and the coaching that you had to do on the deck during that time so the emotional you know drain that has on you I, I guess coupled together you feel like physically and emotionally you can still go I'm you know every once in a while when somebody comes back out of retirement. If things don't go perfectly, there's regrets and 
wish that they had stayed retired. I feel none of that. And, you know, you deal with college-age kids. They're going to be ups and downs that you get to deal with. And I'm all for it. I've done this all my life. It hasn't been a job. It's been a lifestyle. I love it. I love them. I'm on it. Is that kind of the secret sauce? Because there's always coaches that want to know how you've gone so long, how you've been so successful for so long. For you, it, it's never felt like a job then. No, but I've never been really satisfied. Like the year we won in Iowa City, and we had six guys in the finals of the 100 fly. Right, yeah. I was there. I was already thinking about after that preliminary on the second day of the meet, I'm thinking about what to do next year, how to make next year better. And I had two guys that did not swim well in the 50, swam great in the fly, they stopped eight in the fly and in the 100 free. But what did I do wrong in the 50? And the next year I fixed that. I, I don't know if I've been blessed or cursed with the gene to always look for a better way. Mm. You, you sound a little bit like Nick Saban. I, I've, I've done a little bit of studying some coaches, and you sound like you have very similar traits with that. I, I don't know much about him, but he's very successful in a field that it's hard to be successful year in, year out. He's he's an amazing coach. What about outfield then? We listen. Eddie Reese kept me up a few nights. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I mean, at Auburn and, and any other major program, we're all competing, and and we For all sure. we all want to be the best. So, how is it that you have been able to sustain success like that without without that that burnout of of that emotional burnout of trying to just killing yourself to make it happen? We had a late Olympics one year that I didn't get home till like September 8th or 10th. Right. School had already started. And I told my wife, I didn't get my vacation this year. She looked at me and she said, you have a vacation every day. And I do. I mean, I get to play with them. I mean, we were playing six square for 15 minutes down there before three. I, I love to play. I love to laugh. I like them to laugh. And as I tell them, I'm funnier now than I've ever been. And they tell me, that's just how you see it. It's not how we see it. They think my jokes are old. <laughs> but swimming fast and having fun go hand in hand. You can on a Thursday take 10 minutes and do some kind of relays, short relays, not long relays. And they'll think they've had fun all week. So just, the, I mean, the reality is, though, Eddie, you know, I've been a head coach at a major program too. And so I know the, the, there's the fun side of it for sure. But then you're dealing with 18 to 22 year olds and there's the discipline side of it. And, and look, 
I didn't always get that right. It's it's tough. How do you how do you balance the fun Eddie, the the joking Eddie, the the guy that likes to get the best out of his athletes, but then build in the discipline too? Well, ideally, if you want a strong culture or a strong discipline, it's best if it comes from them. Um, I know I've got the power. My saying is, you keep the power if you don't use it. The old saying is, if you don't abuse it, you keep it. And I just try not to use it. Every once in a while, when I talk to them seriously, they know what that's about. And they help me with it. I've heard a lot of talk in the past 10, 15 years about how kids have changed. And and I don't I don't think it's a it's a kid problem. I think it's more of a of a of a adult problem. I think we've changed in the way that we raise our kids. And 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 this is the way that the effects have trickled down to them. Um, you've been in this game 42 years, so you've seen generations of change. How do you how do you keep up with the generations of change? I've been in this 55 years. <laughs> Count my six at Florida, six at Auburn, and this is 44, 45. Wow. And I've never lost my enthusiasm. But talking about the difference in people, the way I see kids now is they go home, they get in their room, they're on their computer, either doing homework or the internet. Mm -hmm. They're not hearing good things from their parents because they're not hearing much from their parents. If they are early in their life, soccer or almost any sport, I've been to a lot of those practices. Kids don't hear good things there. They don't hear good things in the classroom. Swimming's the only place they hear good things. Mm. And it used to be there was more of that before we started moving away from our base family, aunts, uncles, grandparents, because those people say good things to the children. Whereas the parents, they see them all the time. They maybe don't know what's good, but grandparents, aunts, uncles, see them once a week, something like that. But the kids nowadays will work just as hard. And I think they will even, I think they discipline themselves better than 10 to 20 years ago. Wow. That, I mean, that's, that's interesting that you're seeing a positive change. Most people these days are hard on the kids, you know, they're critical of the kids and, and here you are seeing positivity in the changes and, and where they're going. Well, you know, the sad part is we all have different opinions <laughs> and that always gets us in trouble, but that's the way I like to view it ever. Um, Swimmers, for sure, is not, they're not as good hand-eye coordinated athletes as they used to be. I mean, they used to come from all walks of life. When they come home after school, they didn't go right to practice. 
they were out playing and nobody does that anymore. And the swimming nowadays, because we can we can communicate with 10th graders after a certain date. They're unbelievably fast. They're faster than most of my team 10 years ago. Yeah. It's, I'd, if I weren't coaching, I would not believe it. How do you stay ahead? How have you stayed ahead of the, of the game in that? I mean, you, you were coaching you know, people in the 80s and obviously times from the 80s. Uh, uh, nobody's doing those times anymore. You know what I mean? That's Thank goodness. Like, so how have you stayed ahead of the generations in terms of where you think human potential is? I think that one, because of Michael Phelps, a little bit, Ryan Lochte, we're getting better athletes in the sport. We had a few back in the eighties and nineties. Now there is, I can remember one year there were two good recruits coming out, two exceptional recruits graduating from high school. And since Olympic trials had 1,200 or 1,500 one year, we've been getting 12 to 20 exceptional athletes out there. And that is a plus in a lot of ways. But I just, I think we've gone more towards individualizing practices. Right. And it's like club programs, that's hard to do. Um, but. Yeah, I noticed it this morning. You, I'm walking around, there's 12 guys in the pool, and it's almost like there's 12 different practices going almost. on. Almost. But everybody needs something. And if you can answer the need of Eddie Reese or Wyatt Collins or whoever, then just throwing them in a workout is not as good as that. So we, there are a lot of workouts that we do like have four groups and like we were holding, we we're going, we're going a combination of, Four 100s on a minute, 650s on 50. Of the four 100s were free, 650s were another stroke. And we had some easy swimming in between. Some of the guys were going 57s on the four 100s, and that's where they should be. Some of them were 53s and fours, and that's where they should be. So they can differentiate. They've got to help you. But I say this kiddingly, but it's true. They make me look way better than I am because they go at it. They work like we get a lot of coaches in here, foreign coaches come in and they, how do you get them to do that? I say, I'm only 10% of that equation. You talked earlier about a couple of different programs. You're in Florida and, and Auburn. You spend some time there, and then you end up at Texas, and, and you've been here, you know, a long time now. Why? Why did you end up staying at Texas, particularly? 
I've been happy everywhere I've been. I was not, when I was at Florida, I could have been an assistant coach the rest of my life. My head coach there said, apply for this Auburn job. And he didn't want me to go, but he wanted me to go. Right. And so I did that. And uh, Were you ready at that stage to, to go and be a head coach? Oh, I, I'm still not ready. <laughs> For the most part, no. But I was good with people. Right. And when I got to Auburn, they had had, they'd gotten, there. back then there were only three relays. The two 400 relays, the 800. Right. They had gotten 10th out of 10 teams in three relays. Is the only points they've ever scored. At the SEC level. Yeah. Right. So I knew it was a battle. And, I mean, my first year, I recruited a 158 guy that three years later was 154, 200 meters. It just showed me what's out there, what what potential, doesn't matter what they've been, there's potential. Now I know 158 doesn't get a look nowadays, and 154 long course doesn't get a look either. It's Everything's gone faster, unless you've got a good stroke. Good strokes are the name of the game. What's the Rowdy Gaines story? How did you recruit him? How did you end up coaching him? I went to the high school state meet, Rowdy's senior year, and it was like in May. That's usually when we started recruiting. That's when the Florida state meet was in May, and I watched him swim. And I did something I've never done since then. One of his grandmothers said, we want him to make the Olympics. And I said, he's got the attitude and the stroke. Freshman year, Rowdy came in, had a great freshman year, went from 141.9 to 136, mm. anchored against Brian Goodell even on the last 800, last leg, 800 free relay, beating the last 25. So when Rowdy went home that summer, went swim for my brother in Gainesville, I said, Rowdy, you must become a six-beat kicker. Two-beat kick, you can't sprint with a two-beat kick. Right. But a two-beat kick is usually because of strength relative to limb length. And he did more catch-up freestyle with a stick than he did in the rest of his life. And was he your first best swimmer? I mean, your first great swimmer? Bill Forrester. Bill Forrester, yeah. Was third in the Olympics right. his senior year in high school. Wow. So, so he was the first of the Eddie Reese. Well, Bill came in, Dave McCagg, who won the world champs in the 101 year. Forrester won the 200 and 400 one year world champs. Scott Spann, who held American records in the 100 fly, 100 breast, 200 IM. I mean, 
those were all those guys swam for my brother in Jacks at Jacksonville Episcopal High School. And so they were glad to see me because Randy beat them unmercifully. <laughs> how did the that's a good that's a good point actually? How did the Reese brothers end up swim coaches? You know, I don't really know. I've got a theory. Um, my dad, it's a little bit of a tearjerker, had, my dad was the oldest in a family of six. He had three brothers drown. Oh, wow. At the same time. Oh, and they were all swimming in the river in Daytona Beach. They climbed up on sand that had been dredged out, and it collapsed them. Mm. And um, I was a baseball player every day of the week, all day on Sunday. And I could throw. I could hit. I loved it. Came in one Sunday, and... My dad's talking to my cousin, who is a swimmer and coaches swimmer. Back then, it wasn't much of a coaching deal. but uh, and They said, how'd you like to be a swimmer? And I said, sure. And the first week of workouts, I cried every day underwater. It was so hard because you just, you keep going, you start hurting. Mm. And if you've never done that... Mm. The sad part is you can keep hurting mm. and keep going. <laughs> and he taught me that. He was a genius at the sport. He taught me a pull-out technique I still teach now. And he taught me fly kick back then. And um, technique, my strokes are better than most of my guys. And I can do them slow motion without that button on the camera. <laughs> Were you close to your brother at, at a young age? Pretty much. I used to beat him up until he chased me around the house with a stick. <laughs> I quit doing that. But, yeah, I, I coached him in the summer. Um, he, he, swam, he, he swam at Florida State. Didn't go to Florida. Why is that? Like, why? I think because I went to Florida. Okay. <laughs> so is there, there's always been a level of competition between oh, the two of you? Goodness, yes. Really? We we hunt together, and he is he is a natural shooter. I'm a practice shooter. Okay. I have to do it for a while before I can hit the ground even. And he just walks out. He hadn't shot in. Five years, he starts knocking everything down. Wow. Hate him for that. <laughs> Easy day. <laughs> well, what about this then? Um, you, you, the things that you're doing at Auburn as a young head coach, what are the things that have stayed with you from that time to now? I got an individual medley swimmer in who was a very poor butterfly. He was like 58. This was 1972. 
He was like 58 for 100 fly, flat start. Good backstroke. He was a breaststroker. Good distance free. So I, I brought him in and we worked butterfly. Monday, we would go four 400s fly with a two ball. Mm. Wednesday, we go 2050s fly with a two ball. So the end of that year, he went out in 55 and won the IM at conference. He dropped from 203 in three years to 150 in the IM, working on weak stroke. And we, to this day, we go an hour, three mornings a week on your weak Weak stroke. stroke. But not butterfly with it too. Well, now it's a butterfly with with the strap. (laughs) <laughs> with the band, with, with the band. band. Yeah, with the band. And we started spin drill there. You see backstrokers jump in the water and right. by their lane, just head and shoulders out, spin. And if you watch, their hands go in perpendicular. They go in slightly outside the shoulders. It made them do the stroke right. We got to where we'd do five, and I don't recommend this. Five 200 backstrokes on three minutes. Spin drill. Wow. Spin to the flags, then do a turn. Mm. We had two guys come in at 57 and the 100 back. In one year, they went to 52. We had three guys at 55, and one of them went 50 point. The other one, I guess there were only two guys. And the other one went 51. But spin drill is the best single drill for a stroke Still. and the hardest stro- hardest drill. Yeah. Still used often to this day. Absolutely. Yeah. Great drill. And we, back then, I had everybody pull breaststroke with a buoy. 50 men, everybody. It just does something for the arms. And, um, we don't do that as much now. And back then, breaststrokers flutter kick for like eight weeks, first half of every kick set. Due to capillarization or circulation, you can build capillary beds in the lower extremities, which is hard to do, only through freestyle kick, because you can only kick that fast enough to create the oxygen need. Breaststroke's too slow. Fly kick's too slow. So they do that to make help their circulation down the line. Have, have you always enjoyed coaching all the strokes? I mean, have you felt comfortable? All, was there a stroke that you struggled with early on? I've got a picture in my mind the way the stroke should work. Right. Like if you watch, and a lot of these pictures come from the best people. Cause as you as you look at the better people in the world, the idiosyncrasies or like for backstroke, if you put your hand in on the back of the hand, you you hurt your sprint sprint speed. Mm-hmm. So you don't you don't make it to the top sixteen of the NCAA because that's a limiting factor. Mm-hmm. 
Technique is a limiting factor. Right. If you cross over too much freestyle, it's a limiting factor. Breaststroke, timing, and head position. A lot of coaches in the 80s, when you were developing, weren't valuing technique back then. So were you, were you kind of an anomaly? Were you out of the ordinary? You mean, was I strange? Yeah, maybe. Um, when I was at the University of Florida from 66 to 72 as an assistant, I got to go to a couple of NCAAs. I swam in two when I was a junior and senior at Florida. And I noticed everybody was big, strong, and in shape. So, and had terrible strokes. So at that time, I made up my mind, we're going to be big, strong, in shape, good strokes. Mm, right. If you watch my team on free relays, they're doing it pretty much the same. Well, if I watch your team too over the years, it seems like you have um, a type of kid, a type of person that swims for Eddie Reese at Texas, and it's big, strong, lanky, kind of, you know, big American man. I mean, do you have that in mind when you're recruiting, a type of athlete that you're looking for? Well, if you look at it from the laws of physics area and the America's Cup, was 12-meter sailboats or sloops, all right? And they wanted to make it faster. I love the America's Cup. Yeah. When we raced Australia yeah. and New Zealand. But they wanted to make them faster. Right. The only way you make a boat faster is to increase the longitudinal axis. So you would think if you apply that to a swimmer. I got that. If you apply that to a swimmer, right. then you have greater potential when you're taller. But that, I mean, there's so many ways to overcome that now. I mean, Carson Foster's not the biggest guy in the world. Probably not ever going to win the 50, but he's got a good fly kick. His technique on everything is world-class. So, so you look for, you, there's definitely, you're looking for physical attributes, but beyond that, you're also looking for technical skills. I look for feel for the water. Right. We talk about it. We do not know how to teach that. And that's we, something you can see on, on a, on a young kid. Uh, you can spot that. Well, if they've got long arms and long legs, a lot of times they haven't got the strength to show that. So you've got to look beyond that. Give me an example of somebody that you walked onto the deck at their practice. Okay. And you spotted and you were like, I, I can't see it right now, but three years from now, I can see potential. All right. I'll give you a closer one than that. I was, it was the Nationals were here. Yeah. And in between prelims and finals, I went to play racquetball. And I came back on deck and there was a guy going about 35 for 50 meter free. I just stopped, and then I searched the deck to see who was coaching him. And I went up to the guy, and I said, 
who's your freestyler? Said, said he's not a freestyler. I said, he will be. He is, it was Neil Walker. Mm. Made the Olympic team in the 100 free and the 100 back. But it still gives me chills. A lot of times, three years out, it's hard to see those guys. That's why you have, if you work them hard enough, you have those guys come out of nowhere to score at the NCAAs. Yeah, absolutely. It's interesting that you picked Neil Walker as your example. He, he was a competitor of mine. I know. <laughs> we went into the 50 seating seated ahead of you. He did. You he won did. it. He did. What, what did you think when you saw this uh, Australian foreign kid turn up at Auburn University? Was, did, did it upset you? <laughs> now I every foreign athlete I've known has been very mature. They do well school wise. They have a purpose in their swimming. So I appreciate them and what they're doing. You've always been super respectful and I'm joking when I say that. Um, but you've also had a belief of America first, and, and that's a very admirable thing. What, why have you taken that approach just personally? I've always felt like I would rather go get two or three Americans for the total of a full scholarship right. than one foreign athlete. And that way in two years, I could at least equal what the foreign athlete did and be working towards getting getting Americans in the Olympics. We we love our guys to make international trips. It's one of our first goals. And and you're patriotic too. You want America to be great, which is a good thing. I want I'm I'm Australian. I want Australia to be great. Sure. So there's nothing wrong with that. Um but, but that's kind of been a philosophy of yours at Texas is make America everywhere I've been. Right. Right. Everywhere I've been. Right. We have a saying that I'm going to get them to go faster, even if it kills them. I like that. <laughs> well, Their parents don't you haven't like killed it. anybody yet, but uh, you, but you've got them faster. That's for sure. It's uh, the training. Well, skill. I tell you, you know, the, the the approach that you've taken has made the world better because in in making Texas great, you made every other program in the country want to be as good as you, and then in making America great as a superpower in swimming, I can tell you, we, we wanted to be something like America at some point. That was always like you guys were up here and we were down here and we just looked up to America. And, I think and around the 56 and 60s, you guys were up there. Yeah. Well, it may, might've been a turning point for America. You may not remember that time, <laughs> but I do. <laughs> they remind us for sure, but I might, that might've been a turning point for you then and kind of an inspiration for you as to, we got to make America great in order to compete with Australia back back then. I would love to say I had that high of an ideal, but I it was more subtle than that. Right, right. Um, well, well, in terms of uh, the people that you've had come through here, it, you know, I was at Auburn for 12 years. You've been here so many years. How how do you – do you have, like, some crazy memory for the people that have come through, the stories, the sets, the – I mean, I, how do you remember it all? It's part of my life. 
It's like remembering stuff from your family. I've just got a large family. Like I can remember 2008 in the 100 back in the semis, Aaron Pearsall is pulled up and I'm on deck and his feet are slipping down and he can't drop off because it'll be a false start. So he gets a terrible start. It's a body length behind. He qualifies fifth in the hundred. And um, the guy who qualified first was the fastest 50 backstroker. I would love for him to come swim for me. Liam Tancock. Mm, yeah. Liam could fly back. I am even went 157, 200 back. And Aaron wanted to be next to him because Aaron, when swimming the 50s at World Champs, never went better than 25-6. When he set his world record, put his feet on the wall, 25-2. Wow. He just was maybe the subtlest and greatest competitor I've seen. We could be running a workout out here. He could be doing backstroke and somebody over here, three lanes over, swimming great, fly or free. He trade with somebody just to race. That's interesting that you you pick him and, and his competitive nature. And that, and that kind of draws me to a question of what are the similarities between the champions you've had come through? You mentioned Neil Walker, you know, Brendan Hansen. I mean, the, you've had real champions come through this program. Are there are there similarities between all the guys that you you say like if you, if if you don't have that then you'll never be that well brings up ian crocker right ian came in making the olympic team out of high school as a summer after his senior year and he thought the weight program he did there was good right first year he hid from me in the weight room and swam in the sprint group. And he went and Michael beat him the next summer. So he moved three days a week to the distance lane and did 80% of what I wanted in the weight room. And went from 52.2 to 50.9. Then he was in the distance lane five times. He went 2100s free on a minute. First 17 were 55. The last three were 53. Wow. He was, he could do amazing things. So it, it's a matter of buying into the program. Well, like Brendan, Brendan was third at both, both 100, 200 breasts in the trials. Third is last. I mean, it's really great out of high school that he did that, but he came in as a man on a mission. He didn't lose all the college, and they worked harder each year. That's like when Pearsall came here, held the world record than 200 back. I was scared to death because he was already so good. Mm -hmm. He was 11th in the 100 back. I told him our strength program would make him better in the 100. 
and which would make him better in the two. And he went to work in there. You're one of the only programs I know that has continued to do the strength beyond just the swimming. You you do the the weight training. When did you make that decision, and why have you decided to keep that? When I was in graduate school, actually before then, my junior year in college, we used to do isometric contraction. Right. So you push against an immovable object. And so I started doing, I started doing some reading. Back then there was a research quarterly that had every study that ever been done and documented. So I, I looked up every study that compared people that swam only, swam and exercised. Everything from swimming and running, swimming and gymnastics, swimming and weights, swimming and push-ups, sit-ups. The swimming and exercise group improved more and over a longer period of time. So it was an easy sell for me. So that's been doing that. Have you felt pressure to give that side of it up at any point? No, because I listened to strength programs from around the country and the strength coaches don't come from a swimming background or they're not willing to listen Right. because they treat us like what I call the vertical or gravity athletes. We're not that. We're horizontal. We circulate easier. We don't have to go against gravity and our lifting is different. And the guys I've had here, I set up the program, tell them what I want. And they are, I've, I've had nothing but really smart kids and they, they do the safety, they do the technique and they make sure they work, they work it. And, um, and if somebody needs adjusting, they tell me, we talk about it, and I usually go along with what they say. We've got a guy now that is, did you go in there the other day? Yep. Clint is. Mm -hmm. So you have like, a, you have assistants that well, work, work with you in Clint there. Clint can do it by himself now. Right. He knows us. Okay. So we're, we're good. Have you ever had pressure um, from higher-ups at Texas throughout the years? And I'm not asking you to be specific with anybody, but has anyone ever said, Eddie, you got to stop doing this. Eddie, you got to do things this way now. Uh, uh, have you had free reign with your program the whole time, or has there been pressure to change things? I think the only pressure is to realize – what they've got in the University of Texas. Right. And they need to take care of that. Right. And anything that happens that one guy does it, it's Texas swimming. Right. So that's the only pressure any of us get here. All right. When our athletic director got here, he has a head coach's meeting once a month. 
He tells us what his problems are, what we can do to help. And he said, first meeting, he said, tell me what you really need. We'll get it. And then you take care of it. Nice. And that's that's what you want. You just want support. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever felt like you needed anything here? I mean, you've got this beautiful outdoor pool now, which which is nice. It's a great addition. And, and it, for me, it's been a long time coming for you. I felt like, you know, maybe you could have used that 10, 15 years ago, but you got it now. But have you ever felt like you've needed anything here? No. Um, every once in a while, I ask for specific weight equipment. Right. And, um, but everybody laughs at me because, I get what I ask for every eight or 10 years. I ask for something. I'm, I mean, you gotta be happy with this pool. Oh man. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, beautiful. It's beautiful. We, and we get the time slots we want and our, we do our weights before we swim. And they say, how am I going to move after this? I said, part of the training experience. And after they have a good warm up, they kill it. Tuesday is one of our fast days. Some guys lift on Tuesday. Some some guys go Monday, Thursday, some Tuesday, Friday. So the Thursday guys or the Friday guys, that's a fast day too. They're they're I'm fine with it. Has that been has that been something that you established a while back and you've maintained in terms of your general weekly schedule? It's, it seems like it's been in place for a while. It has. We Everybody comes in on Monday morning. Then there are four mornings in which you must make two up. And you can go relative to class schedule whenever you've got a test. Or if you get a chance to sleep in, you do all that. But what, I, what I'm amazed with is that, and I would struggle with this, and, and I know you haven't, but I'm trying to figure it out. What I would struggle with is, okay, a, a guy picks a certain workout, and, and each workout's different. How do you know that they're getting what they need or more than enough if they're just randomly coming in? Wyatt and I talk about where we are in the season, probably two or three times a week. We, Wyatt'll say, what are you looking for this afternoon? Right. And like, and we have different groups. Yep. And everybody in our country can do a hard workout, but you want to make it a hard workout that works in that time of the year. Right. And the next day, same time of the year. Mm. There are different ways to do. You know, there are millions of workouts out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I love workouts. I told them if I didn't have to go to meets, I could coach till I'm a hundred. Well, you're you're also an artist. You 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 you're almost like a painter to me. Like you come in with this blank canvas and you start brushing and painting, and it's fascinating to watch you because not a lot of coaches coach like that. There are, there are some that I know of and, and Richard quick was similar yeah. in the fact that he could come in and, and it was almost like he could see a vision and not all of us could see what he was seeing, right. but he knew clearly what he wanted right. to do. 
And you seem the same way in terms of you come in and it can just come out of you in this incredible workout. And, and I try to educate them because if you know that something is going to help you a certain way, then you'll do it better. That's in speaking of a workout. Right. And I tell them, look, we're going aerobic today. You've got to be 160 to 180. Aerobic is hard. Right. It's a soft word, but it is not a soft practice. Right. 160 to 180 is difficult. And the better you are, the more you've got to do at that heart rate to increase your aerobic capacity. Like I've almost this year with our milers, we'll never do one hundreds on a minute. It's too easy for them. We'll do, we'll do like last year we did. 200 on 155, 200 on two minutes, and do that five times, 10 times. But see, that's what I'm talking about. You you just went straight into it, and you and you went to mile. I, I, if I mentioned a 200 IAMI, you could bang. If I mentioned a 50 freestyle, you could knock out an incredible workout. So is this just an Eddie Reese gift that other people can't really tap into? I'm sure there are people out there that can do it. Um, I don't think it's difficult, but that's, you know, if something comes easy to you. Right. Um, like when I was in high school, made all the good grades, good test scores, started in engineering, and they told the guy next to me, look to your left, he won't be here next semester. And they were right. I have no aptitude for engineering, but I love numbers. I love swimming numbers. Once you start doing math with symbols and letters, you're speaking a different language for me that I can't get. And, um, but I love numbers. I love the symmetry of numbers. I try to do things either geometrically or arithmetically. And sometimes I don't do that just so they don't get used to it. So, so you didn't graduate college? I did. Oh, you did. Okay. But not an engineer. Right, right. Okay. We'll you said that. I'd be gone out of that major. Oh, okay, right. I was going to, I was like, you must have graduated. What did you end up getting in the end? I was in physical education. Right. Got a master's, spent the whole year in the physiology lab. And I was usually their guinea pig because. I can walk a tread back then, could walk a treadmill for a long time. <laughs> Always had um, an endurance that was, that was a gift. I mean, like, I love practice because if somebody made me mad, I'd go over in their lane and beat them at their stroke. If it was long enough practice. So is that something you admire in athletes now? Endurance? Uh, right now we're getting athletes that are so fast and so good. The thing you look to admire is work ethic. Right. And like I tell people when I 
when I go to a club to watch a recruit or just go to watch the club, I look for two things. Right. Are you streamlining? Are they kicking fly kick off the wall? Off the wall? If they're not, you are not coaching them to help them to be better. And that's one message I could get out there. Absolutely. Basic skills that are absolutely necessary to swim fast. That's for sure. Fly kick is the new fifth stroke. It's the second fastest stroke. How have you managed to develop fast underwater kickers? We've had a couple of years where we do a 500 warm-up freestyle. We put fins on. We go five 200s fly kick on our back. You streamline six kicks off the wall, pull your hands to your side, then do a backstroke turn. And you do that for five 200s on three minutes. Add a group that held under 150s, another group under two minutes, another group of breaststrokers. Or breaststrokers, and they were under 210. So it's strong. They're going. They got to go hard on they gotta it. They got to go hard. Okay. Well, at our, at a club level, if you were to do six 100s, most of them to get better, all they'd have to do is to do it. At our level, you can't do that easy. You got to go for it. Or you're not going to get better. You're wasting your time. The reason I do fly kick on the back, hands at their sides, is allows a <clears throat> greater range of motion so there's more involvement of the abdominals and the quadriceps. So we've done it for years. Probably 10 years ago, I started doing it. And we started working on this. And first time we did eight ones on like 215 without fins, we were 105 to 123 average. Mm. Six weeks later, we were 56 to 108. That was the breaststrokers at 108. So you're a product of what you do. That's why we do the weak strokes in the morning. So mean these guys are talented at two or three strokes. And if you start winning at something, you don't, when you're 12, you don't enter the ones you're going to get beat at. Mm. The coach needs to make you do that and keep it moving. Keep swimming those off stroke. Cause we don't know what they're going to do. Wow. I mean, there's, there's so much to, to talk about in terms of training but I want to go to this. I want to talk about the relationship you and Chris had because I was so envious of it. It was it was something that was clearly uh, a strength of the program, something that um, united the program. To have someone as great as a leader as Eddie, but someone to have somebody that supported the leader so well in Chris. How was that relationship able to work for so long? First of all, Chris Kubik 
was a genius in many areas. We were just lucky to get him in swimming. And one of his real strengths was people. Right. He could come into a we we could be on deck and they could be coming in. He said, I've got to go talk to John. Why? I said, Do you see his face? He's got a problem. Mm. I need to talk to him. Mm. And he go do that. And he could do workouts that were incredible. He he had every part. He could have been a head coach at a lot of places and probably beaten our rear ends. How did it how did it unite you then? Because that seems to be like in many other places, it could have pulled you apart where there's a division between Eddie and Chris, and then you have two teams almost. How how was it that you were able to stay united? We, we gave way to each other right. at different times. And I know now and I knew then. He did a great job of taking care of me around the pool deck or outside. Right. He was really good at just going out of his way to make sure I was all right. He knows when we have a problem, I get to sleep about two hours because I deal with the problem internally. Right, sure. Never solve it that way, but I desensitize the problem somewhat. But Chris did so many things that were just so natural to him. It was no big deal. It was the way he was. And he's, I think from Chris, I learned why we're here on earth. This is what I wow. call the secret to life. We're just here to help people. That's the name of the game. And that's what he did every day, just to yep. help people. Yep. We wow. both did that. Would that would that best. be would that be part of your advice to young assistant coaches now? Like who uh, who are you know, if, if you're giving advice to an assistant coach, knowing that what the head coach is looking for, what would you say to that person? Well, I'm a firm believer that the head coach gives their, of a club team or college team, gives their assistant coach a direction in which they want the swimmers to go. Right. In other words, if you want your 14-year-olds to be good flutter kickers, then they need to be doing it at age 12. So when they move up, it's a skill they've got. Mm. And tough for young people to do this, but you got to forget yourself. Just take care of your swimmers. That will stand you better in the long run. If something doesn't work, first person I point to is me. Or you never get better if you always blame it on them. And so I think, well, uh, last year, NCAA's worst 200 relays we've ever had for the people we've got. We got like fifth or sixth in both. That's never happened. Not with the guys I've got. Right. So it was either 
strength training or rest. So both my categories. So I'm going to fix that. Is, is that something then that you do each year then is like a self-evaluation? Every two weeks. See, if you're in an organization and it goes dark, <laughs> got to hire you to turn it back light. But if you're an organization and you make a rule, you may not be able to get rid of that rule because it takes such and such a vote. If it's not a good rule, how do you get rid of it? If something's not working for me, it's out. Like we're kicking now with a snorkel. I think, honestly, the only way to kick puts you in the right body position, protects your lower back. If I coach the master's team, they were flutter kicking. That's they'd have to do it snorkel face in the water. I'm not in charge of everything yet, but if, if that's not working, I'll change it tomorrow. And I've already had comments that it's working. They really feel good about it. Uh, and I do listen to them. A lot of what I know and what I learned is from listening to them. And I ask them things. How, what did that make you feel like? Like we were doing a lot of breaststroke pull with a buoy this morning, right? which is easier than with the band. I wanted to know, was it getting what I wanted? Was it training their arms? The only way you train is to get tired, hurt, and keep going. And it was doing that. And uh, So you're not afraid to keep asking questions. Yeah. Yeah. They're 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 pretty smart about the sport. Right. Right. What about this? What about a what about a young ignorant Brett Hawk who just took over the head coaching job at Auburn and you offer to you know come down and, and observe and he doesn't take you up on that? What what if I had have done that at that time, which I should have, what what would you have said to me at that time as a young head coach? Anybody that goes into a position like that. Replacing somebody else, it's, I think it's very tough. The theory is you lose your juniors and seniors. I came here, I were, and I didn't get this job till April. And we had some guys I recruited, some guys that transferred from Auburn and a bunch of guys here. We had 55 guys. Mm. And I tried to get it done the first year. Right. And I promised myself, one, you can't do it in one year. The advice I give to everybody like that, most of it's unsolicited. Sit down, get to know them. They'll, that old saying, they'll never know how much you know till they know how much you care. And that's the name of the game. You take, gotta take get the in time there, to get you know your athletes. Get to know them. Get them to care about you. Doesn't happen overnight. 
Right. It's not like a TV show or a movie where the light switch goes on. Takes time, especially for your older group. You may go to them like I go to seniors on my team. I say, here's how you can help me. Um, this guy's been coming in late to practice. See if he's doing all right. Don't be critical. Don't tell me about it. Just ask about him. Usually they ask about him. The guy starts coming in on time. Mm. We're, we're not complicated. Just somebody shows that they care. Right. My seniors visit the freshmen in the dorm a couple times a week. I mean, in different times, not as a group. Right. And, and, and they also have a, a dinner on Friday nights. Is that right? Friday is one of the neatest things we do. Started in 1998 or 99 by a guy named Nate Dusing. Right, yeah. His team used to do it. Um, he was on the Cincinnati Marlins. Great underwater dolphin kicker, too. Yeah. And I took full credit for that. <laughs> but they go in. You know how swimmers love to get in the shower yeah. after practice. Yeah. Or the hot tub. We've got a big hot tub. Hot tub, yeah. They go straight into the locker room. Sit down. Nobody's changing clothes. They're in a bathing suit. They go around the room. Each person talks about the good thing they've done in school and in the pool that week. And they give them two claps. Call it their clap meeting. There are no coaches in there. We don't know what's said. Then the seniors decide where to go eat. They all go eat together. Mm. Wow. Now you're thinking, that means... None of them have dates. No, that means <laughs> they go out at 10 o'clock like everybody else. <laughs> they eat first and then they go out on their dates. Yeah, but that's one of the neatest things we do. Yeah. And everybody goes, everybody participates. Yeah. It's um well, you mentioned taking over after a legend like I did. I, I took over after two, David Marsh and, and Richard Quick. Who who how and who and how, how does somebody take over after Eddie Reese? Well, the way I see it, not going to be that hard to do. <laughs> well, the way you see it, yeah, but the way everybody it, else but, sees it. Um, I think it'll probably, I think we're going to know in the next couple of years and It's all how you treat people on a daily basis. We were talking at lunch how it's not how you treat people when everything's going right. It's how you are when things aren't going right, either for them or for you or for both. You got to, I, I say this all the time that the only sources of unconditional love are dogs and grandparents. Yeah. And you've got to be in that direction. You got to care about them no matter what. If they swim bad, 
And it was important. They know it. Their team knows it. Their parents know it. Everybody knows it. Swimming is a naked evaluation. It's you in nine feet of water with a good lane. There is that. But then there's also the trophies and the records and the banners that are hanging over the next person's right. head. The, the the legacy of Eddie Reese, there's that too. And there's absolutely the relationships, right. well, no that, doubt. I might have a problem with that because I don't look at anything that's in the past. I kind of like, you won't believe this, that Janet Jackson song. Uh-huh. What's that? What have you done for me lately? Okay. That's how I live. Last year, in the history books, we got to get it done this year. Just you talked to the team and told them why we've been telling them once a week. Whatever you've got in this country, many people want it. Right. And must keep our work ethic level up, our level of taking care of each other outside the pool. Well, a lot of people want to know then and from you, like, do you have someone in mind who you want to take over from you? I do. Okay. Okay. I am not allowed to say. You're not, you're not allowed to say, no. And I get that because you're still here doing the job, so we don't even want to go there but, but would, would, do you have a say in it are, are you I do. A, you do okay i do i have for the last two years i've been trying to convince them i know everybody out there i know who would fit this job and this team and very simply i care the most i need i will not have 100 percent of the say my athletic director is dynamite at hiring people. He is light years ahead of everybody else. He's hired four people since he's been here, and they are incredible. Well, if you get a say, and you know who it is, if you take it to the athletic director and he doesn't hire that person, would you be disappointed? It depends on his reasons. Oh, but Probably because right, right. I've got my reasons and I know where the world of swimming is All right. in college. And we look at, we've got a fairly big team, 34, 35 college swimmers. And we said, we had, we all know we may have 26 making CAA cuts mm -hmm. last year. Nobody's ever done it. Nobody's ever going to do that. Incredible, yeah. And we like to say there's going to be no one ever on this team uncared for or uncoached. We are going to work at everyone. When I was at Auburn, one of my biggest thrills was we had a guy on the team that was – 54 for 100 free. Freshman year, he ends up at 48 for 100 free. And, wow. and I've just, I do that. I like that. And like we had a 46, 800 man out of high school. 
Go 42-7. And he was battling a, a moderate illness that was with him the whole time. So, and we had breaststrokers make it, and, uh, backstroker or flyers. We had a lot of flyers make it. Well, part of your... Um ability to have that type of depth goes towards a philosophy that is pretty well known that you have is that you don't give out full scholarships. Is that, how did you come up with that philosophy and when was it kind of developed? When I was at the university of Florida, our limit was 24. And then somewhere near the end of my time there, it went to 19. And then Auburn, it went to like 11. And then they took 10% from that. (laughs) This is just idiotic to make it 9.9. Right. Set of 10. Yeah, I I don't understand. I've never understood it. Well, you got to make that money go a long way. (laughs) We do. Um, We have a great academic institution. We have great support for academics and for health and for all the training. And we've had some people that decide to come here to see how good they can be. And we give everybody a chance. But you knew you couldn't have the depth you needed to win if you were giving out full scholarships. You, you can't. It. You think, oh, I've got nine scholarships, two for diving, right. seven for swimming. It just doesn't work that way. Have you flat out lost some guys that you wanted just based on the scholarship dollars? For sure. Yeah. Have forever. will continue. One of the things that you said to me, and I, and I did take some advice from you, but one of the things you said to me which gave me some comfort was that you've heard no more than you've heard yes over your time, obviously. Oh. I mean, you only, you only get – six or seven to 10 swimmers on your team each year, but you're recruiting 30. So you obviously hear no more than you hear. A lot yes. of no's. Yeah. Uh, ha, ha, do they get any easier to hear the no's? Um, no, no one likes to hear no. But the way I approach it is during the recruiting process, we have gain someone that knows a lot about us Mm. and we know a lot about him. Right. Very simply, we want to keep him as a friend. So we're willing to help him anytime, anywhere. Like one of my favorite people in the world went to his house to recruit him, went to Stanford, guy named David Nolan. Right. Yeah. One of the best all-around swimmers yep. the earth has ever seen yep. as a high school swimmer. Sure. He was incredible. Sure. And, you know, I talked to him on the phone two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And that's really valuable to me. When you get to be my age, you look for every friend you can get. <laughs> well, it's also valuable advice to coaches because I hear – that a lot of coaches take it personally and end up burning a relationship for the rest of their life. Don't do that. Yeah. Just don't do that. Yeah. You can help that kid more by 
saying that's a great choice. I'll be looking for you at the NCAAs, but you need to work hard to get there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's real good advice. Um, what else? What am I missing here? I feel like I feel like I could talk to you for hours. You got your boys in the back there uh, having some fun in the in the locker room back there. And they've obviously not working hard enough, Eddie, this season. <laughs> this is the day before the inner squad meet. That's right. That's right. What, what's your philosophy on that? Talk, talk to us about the inner squad because it's always been an incredibly fast meet. Well, we put on jammers. Yeah. And this is after about four to six weeks of training. So we're really pretty good right now. Is right before we get real tired. We we call October is called Rocktober. Right. Because I rock them. And November is called Slovember because they're slow. Most of our dual meat losses occurred in November. You want to beat us, schedule us in November. How have you felt about your dual meat record? Because it doesn't seem like you've, I mean, you obviously care, but it doesn't seem like you're trying to win every dual meet you ever race in. Have you, have you always had that philosophy of like, look, we're just going to swim through this and be good when we can be good? Back in the old days, I used to schedule people that would rest for us and we'd screw up their season or they'd screw it up. All right. Some of the teams on the West Coast would rest two weeks for us. And I'd screw up their season. And we just go right through it. Honestly, I have no clue what my dual meet record is. Because I can remember some of our our best teams were two or three losses during the dual meet season and winning NCAAs. You haven't won every year. You've won a lot. Do you know when you're on a winner? Do you know? Can you feel it when there's a, when there's a team that you feel like, is going to win? We always feel like we got a chance going in. But if somebody's really good, we may not be able to beat them. It's like last year after the first day, Cal's ahead, and with their lineup, second day, you if you're an unemotional, logical person, you'd say they're going to win. And we stand up in the 400 IM and get four guys in the top. And all of a sudden, it's a meet again. You know, we had had three guys in the 200 free, one in the consoles. I mean, they just, they did it. Dave Durden at the end of the meet, said, you have a great team. Wasn't a comment about individuals. Right. And it was. I mean, we had guys that had never scored making top eight. Mm -hmm. So I don't ever put limits on them. You've you've been known to to, to not be known for the rah-rah type, you know, speeches on on you know saturday when the meet's close and things like that what's been your philosophy with that how do you get the best out of your guys when the meet is close 
When we're doing certain things in practice, I try to educate them with what we're doing. Then it's easier to, for them to do it. You know, if you have an expected outcome, right. it usually happens that right. way. Right. And I just, we just talk about the simple things. Um, not a complicated sport. You've got to be a little tougher, pay attention to the finishes. We have a certain way we like to do our last 50 and the 200 or uh, the 100 free. We have a breathing pattern for the last lap. We don't always do it, but we've got breathing patterns in that make us a little bit better on the end. It's like uh, Austin Saab when he's with Stanford went 44-100 flying. Mm. Kicked out 15 meters off every wall. Breathed one time, two times, breathed on the wall. All the way through, last lap, no breath. Wow. My guys tried it the next year. They both made top eight, 100 fly. I just want them to, you know, a lot of times you panic and you start breathing every stroke. And Michael Phelps is probably the only flyer that can breathe every stroke and go as fast. None of my guys. Joseph Schooling, 51-8, coming in, mm. 100 fly, breathing every stroke. Two years later, breathing one down, one up, 50.3. Some people can do it, and then I look at them saying, you're not one of them. <laughs> you know something that I noticed yesterday that I've noticed in the past but it really stood out yesterday is it's something that is really unique to you. You never seem like you're rushed. You never seem you, – you always seem in control especially at the start of workouts where the guys gather around you, you sit down. It's almost like you have like this little sermon before practice and then everybody goes off and we start and we kind of get into it. And then, and then work is being done. Yeah. I always felt like I was in a rush to, I've got to get things done. You always seem like you're in control. Is that right? We've got two hours. We, there are certain things I gave up. One of them was getting them in on time. I remember the Doc Councilman videos with him trying to use a hose and chasing right. his kids <laughs> right. up in the bleachers to yeah. get them in. Yeah. And I just didn't want to do that. And I would just like them to go in on time. Close to it as they manage. And I understand. I First 30 seconds, I dive in the water or some of the hardest of my life because right. that temperature change. And so I don't dive in the water much, but I just don't rush them. They rush in the water. That's, you know, it's pretty much your personality. Right. Mine just happened to be this way and it works all right. Um, there are things... Every once in a while, I get guys that would be better if I made them do it. And I educate them 
and get them to do it. I've always admired Randy in that he made them do what was right in the water. Mm -hmm. And I get them to do it. And I'll, I'll miss two or three guys because of that. But I got to stay within what I can do. Does it frustrate you or is it um, complimentary to you that everybody wants to know what the secret sauce is for Eddie Reese or Texas? Is that frustrating or is it complimentary? Well, I think they're missing the point. I told Wyatt the other day. Because our AD wants them to write down everything we're doing. Like, that's the answer. Right. Well, it may be part of the answer this year. Right. Next year, it won't be for this same group. Because they'll be different. And it'll take different training items to make them better. And I just saw Wyatt. There's no secret sauce. I said, you've been out here too long. You, you affirm people as much as possible. Like what you notice Carson doing. He's saying good things to people yep. in the workout, and it's happening all over. That's the key to our culture. When they're swimming and working hard, they are saying good things to each other. There's always a fist bump when you're racing somebody, and at the end of the set, they all fist bump because they appreciate the other person's effort. Right. And I want them to always be affirming. If they're negative, the peer, whatever age, will cuss them out or blow them off. And I said, if somebody needs to be speeded up, that is my job. But, like, I had some guys this morning we're doing things better than they've ever done it. I made a point to tell them that. You got to do that. Wayne Goldsmith told me the two most important things I can tell anybody. Stay engaged. It's real simple. In coaching language, that means talk to them a lot. Like when we're our volunteer assistant, I say, I don't care what you say to them. Make it positive. Talk to as many as you can all the time. Uh, this morning, I walked 3,500 steps during that practice because I was getting everybody mm -hmm. off. Yep. Yep. And we talked earlier about you shouldn't get your value by how fast you swim in a meet. Right. But they do. Right. That's the theory is don't. And the reality is it's going to happen. That, that's interesting. You said that kind of, cause I was thinking of a question as you were speaking there. And um, I read somewhere where you said athletes, the best athletes hate to lose. So, how would you categorize yourself as, as a competitor? Do you hate to lose? You'll never see it, but I'm one of the worst. <laughs> actually, actually, I think I've seen it a couple of times where you, where you have lost and I can tell you're not comfortable with it for right. sure. 
you know. So well, there have been sometimes we've won when we weren't supposed to, right? And we lost when we should have won. Right. And I'm uncomfortable because it's me, right? It's my problem, right? I did it, right? I don't want to ever be that problem. Do you feel um, a sense of guilt at times when swimmers don't reach their full potential in a season or they don't swim the best time? Does that weigh on you? Without a doubt. Really? I take all of that in, and I have some older swimmers say, that may, they say, that was that kid's fault. Right. I said, I wish, like, one of my wishes for Eddie Reese 25 years ago to know what I know now and be able to give more to that group. And so I wish like guys come back and they're a little, they stand back. They don't come up to me because mm. they know they didn't do what they should have done. Right. And I just tell them, look, at that time of your life, that's the best you could give. And I wasn't smart enough at that time to help you. And that kind of takes care of them. Because wow. that's true. I mean, we're supposed to be smart. We're not smart is if something works, keep doing it. If it doesn't work, quit doing it. Intellect is book learning and the retention thereof. In wisdom, I've had probably three swimmers in 56 years that have had wisdom. Wisdom means that you know the right thing to do without screwing up. Mm -hmm. I've had two guys like that and um, maybe three. Um, most men have to marry wisdom. True. That's my definition of knowledge. The retention, the uh, intellectual part. If, being here a while when the lights keep going out. Yeah, but um, there's still somebody home. <laughs> Usually if the lights are out, nobody's home. <laughs> Thank God they keep coming back trouble. <laughs> I was going to ask you to finish up here because I've taken a lot of your time and I absolutely appreciate it Eddie. am i looking like i'm running out of the chair you're doing a great job asking questions honestly can't believe the good questions you're asking well to me it's just i i'm i'm interested and i think that's the the best way to ask ask a question is ask what you're interested in sure. and, and i think for sure i was uncomfortable sitting here at first talking to the legend eddie reese the guy that i've wanted to ask questions for for years and never have but now it's it's obviously easier as we've gone on. But tell me, and look, I know your your wife has been a huge part of your life, your program. Um, just talk to me about her for a second. Well, the best story is, um, and they even wrote about it about two or three Olympic trials ago in Omaha, Eleanor stalked me, but she thought I was blonde haired and blue eyed. I was brown haired, brown eyed at the time. But we were in a 
dance class together <laughs> and uh, social and square dance. And she, she was just very clever about it. We were dancing one day and she said, congratulations. And I said, for what? She said, I'm a junior in college. She said, I hear you're engaged. And I said, I'm not even going with anybody. And that was the reason for her question. She wanted to find right, that out. Right, right. She's smart. And she used to, her next class was in the same building. And my next class was about three quarters of a mile away. She'd walk halfway with me, then cut through the bank, go back to her class. And I told her one day, you must be rich. I said, why? I said, you always go through the bank. <laughs> she, she stalked me and admits it. So it's the only admitted case of stalking. How long have you been but married now? 57 years. Wow, 57. She, Eleanor, make a long story short, in the early 90s, she went to Calcutta and volunteered with Mother Teresa for two weeks. Wow. Saw her twice a day. And worked in the house of dying, worked in the house of orphans. They got to visit the leprosy house. They, won't, they wouldn't let workers in at that time. They just let you visit. And she started really the homeless, taking care of the homeless in this city 39, 40 years ago. And um, as all swim swimmers, I married two to four levels above what I deserve. She is, I can be having a problem and I'll say, here's my problem. And she gives me the just simplest answer. Go talk to him about it or right. quit worrying about it. Call him now. Right and see if that's what's happening. Because she knows I, when I worry, I don't sleep. Mm. But um, she has been a phenomenal strength, still is. Has it been a challenge for you to balance excellence here and, and a relationship for 57 years with, with your wife? How has that, how have you managed to do that? As well, either I or she maybe put family first. It was a combination of that at different times. I get wrapped up back in the old days, you had to make recruiting calls right. from school. And if I was at school making recruiting calls and I didn't get to put the girls to bed, I showed up at their lunch the next day in elementary school. Right. And eat lunch with them. But I'm a great storyteller. Mm -hmm. And I used to tell them stories at night about two Indian girls being in Texas. That was easy to do. And they were all the heroes of every story. So for some reason, I picked that right direction. <laughs> I needed to do that. I didn't know it at the time, but those Indian girls were chased by bears. 
They've turned buffalo stampedes around. They've saved wolves. They've caught fish. They've done it all. I love it. It's awesome. Um, Give me some quick life advice here then. I have a son who's a musician and he's 18. He's got a lot of potential and I don't know if he he sees the type of potential I you, you know we look at people sometimes and we see limitless potential uh and and I want him to maximize it in a way so when you have an athlete like that who doesn't necessarily see the limitless potential they have how do you connect with that kid to, to pull out their potential well a lot of times they're afraid to try because they might not make it right and I tell them the biggest failure is not trying. Really good advice. So, so, so let, let them try, let them just fail. Go for it. Go for it. Just go for it. The brave people, people with courage, can go for it and take what comes. Don't cut any corners. Go for it and see what happens. Love it. Beautiful way to end too. Eddie, I I appreciate this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Good for me too. Thanks, Fred. (laughs) All right, let's finish this up. Good stuff. Nate's come out with another awesome tool for the swimming community. It's called Swim Nerd Live, and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart TV, phone, or other device, such as the TVs in your facility lobby, ready room, or by athletes' family members across the world. A very simple and easy-to-use necessity for any team or facility that is live streaming their meets results. You actually see the live meet timer counting up. The splits come across the screen as the swimmers touch the pads. It has all the information you're looking for. Event, heat, lane, name of swimmer, times and places. There are so many things you can do with this software. Swim Nerd Live turns any smart TV into a portable digital scoreboard. Hang a TV out in the hallway of the pool or on both sides of the stands. This is perfect when you have swim meets and the kids are in the gym down the hall. They've made it incredibly simple for anyone to watch. One click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time. And here's the cherry on top. Swim Nerd Live also provides advertising space for you to show off your sponsors, promote your upcoming swim camp, or have your alumni just one click away from donating. This software will pay for itself. Go to swimpractice.com to learn more.